Good morning, everyone. Praise God for the worship team and leading us in worship. Let's try and get this guy on. All right. Thank you, Phil, for the teaching to the children this morning. I think that uh, I have a good excuse now. On um, when my wife tells me why do I have snacks under the bed, so I'm doing like a beaver. I'm storing my snacks on the bottom when I'm hungry in the middle of the night. Just reach over and grab a snack, right? No, no, I'm just kidding. I don't have snacks under there. I would not be standing here today if I had snacks under there. <laughs> but um, let's let's open our Bibles real quick for the reading of God's Word. Let's go to <clears throat> let's go Luke. Let's go. Ah. <clears throat> Let's go Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 27. When you're there, say mine. <laughs> right. Okay. Take your, uh, verse 23, Luke 9, 23 says, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Barry, would you open us up? Thank you, Barry. All right. So today, what I'd like to do, I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to move this over. You can tell I'm not a very organized guy, but okay. I would like to <clears throat> introduce to you a gentleman by the name of John, and kind of how this is, is kind of picture it, right, is pretty much this is an introduction to John, and uh, you can imagine John sitting out there with you, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about him, then eventually he's going to come up and tell us about himself, which will be hopefully next week if we can start our study in the epistles of John. And so what I'd like to do is give a, a presentation of who John is. You know, mo- a lot of the times we, um, or most of the times we're either either um, reading, or not reading, but studying the, the uh, epistles um, that uh, Paul wrote, right? So we just came out of Colossians and Philemon, and Paul wrote those letters. But John is a different character. He has a different personality, and you'll see that in his writings. And I would like to hopefully bring that out to you and show you kind of just the two different types of people, but mainly just focus the majority of the time on John. And so hopefully I can do this well. I don't know if this will be a 30-minute, 40-minute, two-hour-long study, but more than likely it's going to be about 30, 40 minutes. Um, I don't want to over... um, assume a lot of things about John. I just want to present it how the scripture has presented him. So it's going to be more of a Bible study, more of a discussion. I broke it down in uh, three parts. I tried to, as I sat down, I said, let me gather all the information I can about John, and I'm going to place them in a chronological order. 
and then and discuss them that way. So first I'll have a quick introduction and then talk about John before Jesus Christ and then talk about John walking with Jesus and then we'll talk about John <clears throat> um, indwelt with Jesus, okay? So not after Jesus leaves, right? Because now it changes who John is and it changes who all of us are at the end once we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. So he is indwelt in us. Not I, but Christ who lives within me, the Apostle Paul says, I think that's Galatians 2.20, right? For I am crucified with Christ, not I. Is that right? Okay, all right. <laughs> you can affirm what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and get started here. The introduction now. So John, I used to say that um, I was more like Peter. I find my, my foot in my mouth a lot, right? But uh, as I studied John, I kind of feel like I could relate to John a lot. So I really got a little uh, uh, passionate about studying this. I really enjoyed looking at John and, and seeing how he started and how he ended up. And I pray one day that all of us end up like John. And you'll see what I'm talking about. And uh, we'll go from there. But anyways, so now as I, discuss, as I said earlier, we finished two books, right? Colossians and Philemon. Uh, we just come out of Proverbs. And uh, Colossians and Philemon were written by the Apostle Paul. And, but now we're going to jump into three of John's epistles, okay? We'll see a different writing style. John is more black and white <clears throat> uh, and to the point, okay? Um, he will question, he'll make you question your salvation, okay? But also he gives you a certainty and assurance of it. He compares light against darkness, life against death, the kingdom of God against the kingdom of Satan. He talks about the children of God against, uh, also compares it to the children of Satan. The judgment of the righteous and the judgment of the wicked. Receiving Christ and rejecting Christ. He talks about fruit bearers and then also talks against uh, fruitlessness. He talks uh, obedience against disobedience. And then what he's known for and love against hatred. Okay? So Paul is very black and white. We see that. There's no in the middle. Okay? He is a lover of clear truth. And that's why he's hard to swallow. Because he just tells you how it is. He's a lover of clear to truth. John is concerned with our sanctification. Okay? And righteousness. And not sin in our lives. Okay? So he gives it to us in black and white. Um, he may come across as one with no exceptions. Uh, you know, this is how it is and that's it. I find myself that way as well. Unlike Paul, we see Paul who says we must wage war against the remnant sin that's in us. Okay, We have to battle the sin that's in us. And John says, you should not have any sin. And you're like, well, wait a minute, right? But John is just firm. He's saying where you are at, you should be... Um, uh, um, uh, not, uh, uh, aware of your sin, right? But you should strive to be without sin because Christ is the goal, okay? But Paul is telling us that we wage war against the sin that is in us. John holds, you know, John, the difference between John and Paul is that John, he will hold us under the water and you feel like you're going to drown. And then Paul will hold you under the water but pick your head up every now and then let you breathe and put you back down, Right? So when you read John, you feel like you're going to die. You don't know what to do. And Paul, he at least gives you a way out, lets you breathe. And what I mean by that is I have a gentleman, a friend of mine. I remember I got saved 
probably around 2000-ish, give or take a year, don't know exactly when, but around that time frame, this gentleman, he was a, he was a, a Christian at the time I got saved, and up until this day, he calls me often, Ray, I'm not sure if I'm saved, so why not? Well, I was reading through the epistles of John, I said, well, <laughs> I said, well, you need to stay, I have to take him back to Paul, so you pull him up out of the water so he can breathe, and he's questioning, because John is black and white, but John also says in his epistle, 1 John, he says, if we say we are without sin, then we make him a liar. So John understands that we do have sin, but again, he's black and white. So John understands this, but he holds us up. He holds the bar high and expects us to be there, okay? <clears throat> now Paul, I mean, uh, John is different because um, where he's at well, I don't want to spoil that, but anyways, yeah, so anyways, John holds us under the water, and Paul allows us to come up for air, okay? Now, let's look at the John before Jesus. He was a fisherman, right? His dad owned a fishing business. You see this in Mark chapter 1, verse 20. His dad had his own boat. He also had his own servants, this more than likely indicates that he was wealthy, okay? Or at least they were well off. Maybe not rich, but they were well off. They could afford um, some servants or help, okay? And um, so anyways, that kind of gives us an idea of kind of where John is at in life and, and, and his family. Okay, he had an older brother. Do you all know what his name was? James. James was his older brother. And they were both working for their father. <clears throat> These two brothers, they were inseparable. If you look at the Gospels and study John, you'll see that James is always with them. James was the older brother and John uh, followed. But they were always together, inseparable. <clears throat> they were inseparable in the Gospels. John was a, a disciple of John the Baptist. But when John the Baptist pointed out that Jesus was the Lamb of God, do I remember that? John and Andrew, which is Peter's brother, they followed Jesus. They left John the Baptist and took off to follow Jesus. John was already seeking truth before he was captivated by Christ. And this is something that I learned. You find it in John chapter 1, verse 35. I thought that was interesting. I didn't realize that. But you'll see that there. <clears throat> John, so that's kind of John before Christ. This is who he was. And then he seeks after Christ, and eventually Christ tells him to follow me. And he draws him, he, he brings him into his circle, his inner circle, brings him under his wing like he did the other disciples except for Judas. And he, he calls them to himself. So then at this point, <clears throat> we see John, he is now beginning to walk with Christ. Christ gets baptized. He begins his three-year ministry before he's crucified. John, uh, the Lord is around 30 years of age at this point, and now John will be with him and discipled by him for the next three years. Um, Jesus nicknamed both John and his brother James. I don't know. I'm probably going to butcher this. I'll spell it out first. But uh, it's B-O-A-N-E-R-G-E-S, Boenherz, I don't know, <laughs> throwing some German, <laughs> trying to feel like I got to spit in that one, but uh, I don't know how to say that. But anyways, the important thing means that it's, 
translated as the sons of thunder. Okay? Now, so if they were spoken of this way, sons of thunder, imagine what the parents were like, okay, who were the parents of these little thunders, okay? So it's pretty much explaining the family, okay? So they came from a family who was more than likely, they were firm, tough, rough, but they come, they are sons of thunder, okay? And it's not isolated to just them, but this, this name is given to them because of where they come from. So, again, we see that their parents, um, or this family, John and James and his family, are a, a family that is known to be, in a sense, thunderous, right? They are sons of thunder, and they are just like their parents. Um, most people... <clears throat> and or paintings of John, when they talk about John, portray him as a lovey-dovey, hippie kind of guy. Have you seen those pictures of John? You know? But I have a, I'd like to, um, I think there's a, a case to say that he was not like that. Okay? I think they misunderstood him. <clears throat> but in all reality, John was a man's man. This love John talks about was learned. What you see in, in the, paint, the paintings of the Lord's Supper that people portray is, a, is John at the end of his life, not while he was being discipled by Christ. Okay, and we'll talk about that in a minute and why I think that. Um, <clears throat> this love John talks about, like I said, was learned as John matured over time as a grown man. He didn't start out this way. He wasn't just all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, the apostle or, or the disciple of love. Okay, no other apostle that we know of lived as long as John did. And this is what makes him unique of all the apostles, okay? I think this is, this is so amazing that, um, that the, God gave us at least one apostle, one leader of the church where you could see from salvation to a mature older gentleman that died in his old age and what that looks like. And we'll see that in a minute. Why I, I feel that's an, just an amazing picture. Um, he was able to mature in Christ in a way that we could not see in any others. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> this type of love does not come naturally, okay? But through time. Those of you who are believers and have been believers for quite some time could probably look back at your life and say, man, I was a heathen. And now I'm just a saved heathen, right? <laughs> like Paul says, we still fight that, that sin inside us, right? But you can look back at yourself and you can at least see change, okay? <clears throat> so again, this love does not come naturally but through time. And he, he gives us ex this example, and we'll talk about it when we go through the first epistle, but he shows us in 1 John how one matures in Christ over time. He calls them young children, the young men, then he calls them fathers, okay? We will learn the details of this in the near future, when we get ready to go through that, so I don't want to spoil that. But you can see that John himself understands this. He can look back at himself and apply this um, as an example to, the, uh, to us and, and pins it in the scripture. And then John was, I mean, uh, the knowledge of true love uh, will give us balance, and we see that in John's life, Okay. The knowledge of true love gives us balance. And I'll explain some of this in a minute. Okay, it did it to John. Okay, so John was, was zealous, okay? Because if, 
if, if it wasn't, if you were just zealous for God but didn't have true love, you could maybe be accused as being a judgmentalist or have judgmentalism. You could be harsh. You wouldn't have a lack of compassion for people without love, okay? <clears throat> if there's no humility, then we're full of pride. John learned this with time in Christ, okay? So John and James were bold. They were tempered. They were zealous. They were rugged fishermen. They weren't cheerleaders, okay? They were not cheerleaders, if you compare all the young disciples in the Gospels, so if we take the Gospels and, and take every um, disciple and examine their lives and see what they did, you'll notice that there was a lack of maturity there. Okay? <clears throat> but we see in John's letters, we're going to see in John's letters, that you can definitely see a difference in maturity in him when you compare him to the John of the Gospels. So remember, John wrote his letters in black and white. This is who he naturally is. This is who he is, okay? So it's going to reflect in his writings. It is not this effeminate man he's portrayed as in the paintings of the Lord's Supper, right? Okay. And here's what he looked like with Christ as a young disciple. Here, I'll give you a few examples of his immaturity. Okay. So there was a man casting out demons in Jesus' name. And John told him to stop because he was not in their group. He said, stop doing that because you're not part of us. You're not part of the elite. And then Jesus rebuked him. John, James, and their mother asked Jesus to make the two brothers the most powerful guys in his kingdom. And guess what happened? They got rebuked again by Jesus. You see the immaturity here. You see the young disciple. Jesus and his disciples were in Samaria and rejected by the people. John and James asked Jesus to bring down fire to destroy it because they rejected them and their message. Remember that? And what did Jesus do? He rebuked them. You can see this immaturity. There's vigor, there's zeal, but there's no compassion. And that's what love does, okay? That's what love does. So you see, we will see John, we'll see him balanced out as we begin to go through the epistles We'll see a man who has gone with, uh, started out with his compassion and the zeal and now brought love into it, and you'll see a mature man. Eventually he mature, matures from the son of thunders to the apostle of love. <clears throat> now, John and Peter were very close friends. Today we would probably call them BFFs, okay? They hung out. They were always together. If we look at John... John was there when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. I know we went through the book of Mark, or the gospel of Mark, which we're getting ready to continue, pick up back in chapter 9. But anyways, we saw that John was there when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. John, Peter, and James were called the three pillars of the early church. <clears throat> John and Peter followed Jesus at his crucifixion. Everybody else jetted out, but John and Peter followed Christ as he was being crucified. Um, John and Peter also ran to the tomb when they found out it was empty, seeking after the master. Then John and Peter preached to the Samaritans in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. They were together. Now, John wasn't the leader <clears throat> or a leader during the time of Christ. Either one of these, uh, before or after the cross, he wasn't a leader. It was always Peter. He always followed in the shadows of Peter. 
There were three sets of three sets of four, and John was always in Peter's group. John was always in the background while Peter led the team, but he was a great support to him. It was John and Peter who were sent to prepare the Last Supper before the crucifixion. So you see, John and Peter um, were close. <clears throat> then John had a special relationship with Jesus. He was the one whom Jesus loved. Now, John gave himself that title, okay? That's in the gospel. The one whom leaned on the bosom of Jesus. We see this in John 13, 23. John was there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. John was there when Jesus, uh, was there with Jesus when Moses and Elijah appeared uh, during the transfiguration where Christ unveiled himself to three people. Again, John, James, and Peter. You see this group of four always together. Um, well, these are three of the four. They fell to their faces when the Shekinah glory of God was made seen to them. We see this in Matthew 17, 6. Okay. The last person to have seen God in this way was Moses. But now he allows John and those two others, James and Peter, to see uh, them. He gave them a special treat, right? Not only did Jesus allow them to see his glory, but he also gave them a treat and presented Elijah and Moses to them. Then Jesus told them not to say anything until he had risen from the dead. You see this in Mark 9. But honestly, who knows if they kept it secret. I kind of feel that they didn't. In fact, you see that pattern. Every time Jesus tells somebody not to say nothing, what do they do? They go tell everybody, right? <laughs> That's right. So I feel this is the same way, which leads up to Mary helps explain maybe why they were arguing who was going to be the greatest. Okay, this was a special experience with Christ. Um, in fact, well, let's, let's take a look. Let's go to Mark chapter 9. Oh, we'll open up our, the Bible. Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark chapter 9. Let's look at verse, I would say, let's start out with 33. So this is right after the transfiguration, okay? They're walking, and it says, and they came to Capernaum, and, he, and when he was in the house, 9.33, he began to question them. This is Jesus. So, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. They felt guilty. For on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Because these four guys had seen something extraordinary. Okay? They saw the transfiguration. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah. Then he tells them, hey, don't tell nobody. So they're, they're feeling kind of special right now. And so maybe they feel that they are some type of chosen people, maybe sitting, maybe have an opportunity to sit next to Christ in heaven. We don't know. But in sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And taking a child, he set him before them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one child like this is my name in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. And what's very interesting here, verse 38, I know that some of you might have, some of yours might have a break here, but this is all one, one point. John said to Jesus, John felt guilty. Okay, the zealous man who's wanted to call out fire is now beginning to get a conscience. He's starting to think about what he's doing now. 
John said to him, he confesses to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to hinder him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not hinder him for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Okay, for he who is not against us is for us. So there you see John at this point, I think is a changing point in John's life. He begins to get his, his conscience, begins to be more sensitive. Um, so he tells them that they had to become servants rather than the desire, first place, right, full of pride and trying to be self-righteous. And so we see John is now humbled. He confesses his sin to Christ. <clears throat> and again, this doesn't sound like the hippie John everyone portrays him to be. But we are seeing a John who is having a change of heart. Okay, like I said, this is a turning point for John, I believe. He's convicted of his sin, and he is now extra sensitive to the things that he's doing. Eventually, like I mentioned again, we see the mature John. In Second John, this is his second epistle, be thankful in truth to the elect lady and her children. Then he then urges them to love one another. You'll see truth and love, truth and love. This is what John is known for. Truth and love must come together for proper maturity in Christ. <clears throat> we can take this and apply it to ourselves. He was there when Christ was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. John and Peter followed Christ to the house of the high priest. You see this in John eighteen fifteen. More than likely, they saw Jesus get beaten there as well. Later, we see that John was the only disciple there when Jesus was crucified. I think Peter and John went, and at some point, Peter jetted out, but John is still there, okay? It was at this point that Jesus, he entrusted what? His own mother to him, to John, right? While breathing his last breath, John, uh, Jesus Christ um, entrusts John uh, with his mother. He more than likely saw when the soldiers drove the nails through his hands and he eventually watched them pierce his side with a spear after he's given him and entrusted his mother to him. MacArthur says that perhaps as he watched, he remembered that he had agreed to partake of the same baptism. If so, he surely realized then and there how awful the cup was he had to easily volunteer, that he had so easily volunteered to drink. I don't think, I remember that. I don't think he understood what he was getting himself into. Now, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it started with John and Peter calling them to follow him, and it is now ending with them looking um, at him, or, or looking for him in his tomb. After Christ is placed in the tomb, and they heard that he is resurrected, it is Peter and John who bullet towards the tomb looking for for the master, for Christ. And then eventually now, the church is born. We see John the apostle, is no longer the disciple, but now that the church is born in the book of Acts, the gifts are given to the church, men to build the foundation, men to, to teach the flock, to raise the flock, and, and John is one of those men. The church is born, he is now the apostle John, he went from a disciple now to an apostle. The position of, of apostleship is now in place and he is empowered with the Holy Spirit, just like we are. 
So John was a man of faith and passion. And like I said, some would say he had no compassion if you looked at it from, from his early years. But later on, we'll see that he had compassion or he got compassionate for a people, for Christ, Christ people. John, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he authored the gospel according to John. He authored the three epistles we're about to go through and then also the book of Revelation. Uh, next to Luke and Paul, he was he has written a large majority of the New Testament. John had a passion for Christ and the saints, which eventually labeled him as the apostle of love. Okay? But his early life didn't re- represent that. This is something he grew into, he matured into. Again, an example for us. <clears throat> so as mentioned earlier, he was a lover of truth. It was his passion we see this throughout the gospel and epistles. We look at Third John now, the third epistle, verse four. He says, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Okay? He uses the word truth both uh, in the gospel and the epistles of John combined at least 45 times. We see that John's love for truth is evident here, especially for us. Church history tells us that John became the pastor of the Ephesian church from where he was removed and taken to prison in Patmos where he would eventually pen the book of Revelation and pass on to be with the Lord. Again, I think the example we can take from John is that we need to be passionate about God's truth but we also need to be compassionate about his people. And we will see, going through the epistles, that this was his passion, his desire for us to grow, to mature in truth, and then in love, okay? So John was standing next to me, and I was getting ready to present him to you. I would say to John, well done, good and faithful servant, right? May the glory be to God and God alone. John did what he did because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and we can too, Right, If we lend ourselves, we submit ourselves to God 100%, and we begin to study his word and pray and be saturated with his word, we too can have the mind of Christ as John did. We too can be from, go from hard people to loving people. Okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today and... Just thank you for the example that John gives us, Lord. We give you 100% the credit, Lord, because what he did was because you indwelt in him. The Holy Spirit indwelt in him. You have given him to us as a leader of the church, a leader of truth. We just thank you for his example, Lord. He is the only one that lived a full life, and we get to see what it looks like to see a full, mature Christian grow from zero truth about you or minimal truth about you to be the most compassionate and loving and zealous person from you just because they were allowed to grow and mature in you. We just thank you for the example, Lord. We know that we can all be here, Lord, but help us, Lord, break anything in our lives, Lord, that don't allow us to get here. Help us be people, Lord, who can go around and be known for loving truth and loving your people, Lord. We pray in your name, amen.